Good evening, everyone, and welcome to this episode of She Squared, the podcast that gives voice to your favorite pim slash couples written word. I'm Natasha Lance, and tonight we just wanted to kind of give um, a little shout out to um, our authors and our listeners and um, say, you know, we're very sorry we've had some technical difficulties over the past little bit. Um, and, you know, the world's crazy. Things happen. So we apologize. Um, I'm, I'm very sorry uh, that this is, has taken a little bit longer to get out than it normally should have taken, um, but we're here now, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Um, that being said, we are taking um, submissions for new readers uh, who want to get on and maybe give a shot at reading these works. Uh, we don't need you to edit them in any way. We do have an editor on staff, I guess, volunteer staff. Um we do have an editor who is able to, to handle all of that stuff, so we really just need um, extra readers if you want to do it. I know a lot of people have have mentioned on Tumblr that they, they would like to uh, maybe participate, and if you're listening to this and you think that that is something that you would like to do, please give us an email um, at shesquaredpodcast at gmail.com or shesquaredpodcast at outlook.com. All right, thank you so much. We're just going to go ahead and dive right into part two of Impossible Task by Amir. So here we go. September 26, 2186, SSV Normandy, 50 kilometers west of Pietermaritzburg, South Africa. The door stood there, its access panel lit green, as intimidating as the first time she'd ever knocked on it. That had been on a different Normandy, back when she was just a naive archaeologist with a crush on the captain. It felt like a lifetime ago. Liara steeled herself before stepping forward, the door opening automatically. Her throat went dry. Shepard's desk was lost under a sea of fiberglass and twisted plastic panels. The panes that had once made up the commander's display case lay shattered on the ground along with its intricate models. Heavy rain poured in from above like a sheet through a three-meter hole in the ceiling, falling onto the mass of rubble and disappearing through a similarly large, jagged hole in the floor. She really shouldn't have expected anything different, but it was still a shock to see Shepard's cabin in such a state of destruction. Time had not ended with the Reapers, this was the world now, and Liara would have to live in it without Shepard. Impossibly, the fish tank was still intact and functioning, filling the room with a soft blue glow. Carefully arranged corals and aquatic plants were loose in the water, but the fish themselves remained very much alive. The aquarium's VI chirped to life when she pressed its access pad. Fully functional. It was drawing about a thousand watts per hour. At the moment, the Normandy's batteries could easily handle that, but there was no guarantee it would stay that way. She hoped she wouldn't have to shut it down. Liara pressed a hand to the tank. A school of clown loaches approached her fingers, then darted away. They were always Shepard's favorite. Would it be a misuse of resources to keep them alive? Reflected in the glass, Liara saw Shepard's end table suddenly flip over and right itself. When she turned around, Kasumi sparkled into view. The woman bent over to pick up a holographic chess piece off the floor, a gift from Arya to Loke. Shep has excellent taste in decor, even with most of it in shambles, Liara had to agree. Come on, Kasumi added softly. Help me move these books. 
The constant mist from the rain soaked her skin, but with Kasumi's help, she began gathering up the books and placing them on the far shelf, well out of the elements. Liar had never taken much notice of Shepard's collection before, despite the fact that books were a rarity in a civilization where a single data chip could hold a planet's entire literary history with room to spare. There had always been, well, other activities to busy herself with here. The titles were surprisingly varied. The Meditations of Marcus Aurelius, The Death of Arthur, A Human Guide to a Sorry Biology. Well, she thought, cheeks warming when she skimmed over several of the dog-eared pages. That certainly explained a few things. There were also more than a few books written by someone named Agatha Christie. Whenever she placed one on the shelf, Kasumi took it and stacked them together in a pile. Liara didn't ask. When that was done, they moved on to other things. Discarded data pads, model ships, framed digital photos. It struck her that Shepard's oldest picture was of herself and David Anderson standing in front of a newly christened Normandy. There was nothing here from the commander's childhood or even her days at the academy. No parents. No family. Shepard had told her that much. And somewhere in all that rubble was a photo of herself, but Liara was unable to find it. Aha! Kasumi exclaimed, fishing out an unfamiliar black cube from beneath a ruined chair. The woman sat down on the couch and began eagerly turning the object over in her lap like it was a puzzle to be solved. Liara couldn't bring herself to protest the invasion of privacy. It wasn't as though such things mattered now. Instead, she struggled to come up with something to talk about. Small talk was an art she'd never been able to master, and if anything, her skill with it had only gotten worse in the past year. Jack said you did her a favor? Kasumi hummed as she held the box close to her eyes. There was an almost imperceptible indentation on one side, and she tapped her fingers against it. When my shuttle was landing in London, we picked up a group of marines surrounded on the roof of a tube station. Turned out that some of the Grissom Academy students were with them. I see. It's surprisingly easy to get on Jack's good side, you know. All you have to do is protect something she actually cares about. Liara blinked, looking down at the floor. Jack cared deeply for her students, but she was here now. She must have cared strongly for Shepard, too. Kasumi was smiling at her. It's strange. Up until ten minutes ago, we'd hardly ever spoken. Yet now she's looking out for you. Liara tilted her head. I don't know that I'd go that far. She still seemed pretty annoyed to me. That's just her default expression, Kasumi replied. Jack's a puppy, really. Just don't do anything stupid and you'll be fine. She looked back up from the box in her hand. And don't tell her I said that. Right. Her attention returned to the cube. You know, when you've seen the things I have, it's kind of hard to be surprised by anything. I never imagined Jack as a teacher. That's why I got on that shuttle to the Southwark line in the first place. Kind of wanted to see it for myself. See her in action. Plus, I... <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this, but being next to Jack is the safest place to be. Or second safest, at any rate. Liara shook her head. She wished more than ever that she'd been with Shepard in those days. An entire year with access to the galaxy's greatest information network, and she'd missed so much. And, Kasumi added, I have money on her and Miranda getting together. Can't see that if Jack gets blown into a thousand angry pieces. Liara gave a light snort. One would be more likely to walk in on Rex and Garrus locked in a steamy makeout session than see Jack and Miranda stand to even be in the same room as each other for five minutes. Thank the goddess Shepard's apartment had been big enough for them both. Kasumi patted the seat of the sofa next to her, and when Liara took the offered spot, she smiled, pulling back the hood of her coat with her free hand. Even with the wealth of information available at her fingertips, Liara had never seen Kasumi without her hood. 
black hair ran down well past her shoulders, and there were the telltale signs of cybernetic implants below her right ear. Do you know what this is? she asked. Again, Liar shook her head. It's a memory. She arched an eyebrow. And? Kasumi drawled in that naturally playful tone of hers. It's also a box. Liar smiled in what felt like the first time in years. Kasumi's answering smile showed her relief. I suppose you know about the time ship helped me retrieve something that belonged to my former partner, she asked, her tone turning serious, or as serious as Kasumi ever got. Liara nodded. And I bet you know what was inside that box, too. Another nod. She was the shadow broker, after all. Kasumi nodded back, smiling brightly again. I've met a few Alliance commanders in my time. Every single one of them would have taken that box or told me to destroy it. I'm not used to having people trust me to make my own decisions. Few people in the universe did. Maybe that was what made Shepard so special. Anyway, Shep messaged me one day, said she wanted a gray box like the one I have, she said, tapping her forehead. I was all set to acquire one for her, she continued, adding air quotes in the appropriate places. But then she found out about the complications, specifically the recovery time. Gray boxes are pretty safe, but unless you have the right cybernetic implants, they kind of have to open up your skull to install them. It's a little... Well, gross. Without her hood, Kasumi's optical implants were easy to make out, glowing a faint red in the dim light of the cabin. Sometimes, Liar wondered just how many alterations the woman had made to herself over the years. Either way, she would have had to spend a few days in the hospital to let the techs make sure it was integrating with her brain properly. And even afterwards, there's always a possibility of rejection a few weeks down the line. Of course, Shep said she couldn't do that, not when there were countless injured who needed those beds, not where there were people out there dying. Not while she needed to be in top physical and mental condition. That sounded like Shepard, all right. Kasumi held the box close to her eyes again. The lock requires a DNA sample, fingerprints, and a biotic signature. An odd electric flash erupted from her fingers, but the box only beeped angrily at her. She frowned back at it. So it's unbreakable? No lock is unbreakable, Kasumi corrected, placing it on the table and beckoning Liara closer. But most of the time, it's just easier to use the key. Me? Go on, she said. Kasumi guided Liara's fingers to the indentations on each side. Now just use some of that biotic magic of yours. When Liara did as instructed, a previously hidden light began to shine from the top panel. She sat back in awe as the room grew darker and her surroundings, the couch, the fish tank, even the walls, all faded from view. It was as though the shattered world was melting away. Pretty neat, huh? All the power of a commercial-grade projector, but small enough to fit in the palm of your hand. Or at least, that's what the Elcor salesman told me, with poorly concealed enthusiasm, of course. Kasumi added in an approximation of Elcor speech. Out of the darkness, what must have been a million tiny lights swirled into being, briefly taking the form of a galaxy of stars, rotating slowly together like the ship's galactic map before coalescing and morphing into a piano keyboard. She blinked at the unexpected transformation before reaching out, surprised by just how solid the keys felt. The sound was perfect, too. This must have cost a fortune. Projectors of this quality were the domain of governments and galaxy-wide megacore, like the company responsible for the arena on the Citadel. Kasumi only grinned as she stood up. Could have bought 50 gray boxes with what this thing cost. Anyway, have fun, she said before silently disappearing into the void. Liara sat there in stunned silence for a long moment before her hands went to the familiar keys. One hundred and nine years old, and there was only one song she knew how to play. Each note seemed to hang in the air, just like that night on the Citadel, 
and after only a few bars, the piano dissolved back into those tiny points of light before swirling around and morphing into a jungle clearing. The brightness of it all surprised her, as did the sound of crashing waves and the cries of seagulls. None of that prepared her for the sight of Shepard standing before her dressed in her workout uniform of a white tank top and shorts, hands clasped together behind her back. Hey, Liara, she said, with roughly the same degree of self-consciousness she would expect her to have after being brought back from the dead for a second time. Liara bolted upright, but no, this wasn't really Shepard. Clenching her fists, she shut her eyes and fought back the sudden urge to cry, or sigh, or scream. Just a hologram. Even from several feet away, she could make out the tiny flaws in the three-dimensional rendering of Shepard's form, from the missing scars on her cheek to the misplaced freckles on her shoulder, Liara was far too familiar with Shepard's body to be so easily fooled. Of course, the hologram didn't notice any of that, just continued with that little half-smile Shepard tended to wear whenever they were together. At least it was advanced enough to keep its eyes fixed on Liara's own. And one thing it did get perfectly right was Shepard's voice. I've, uh, I've never made one of these before, she began, looking down at her hands. In a way, it feels like I'm expecting to die. Liara calmed herself as the vision looked away for a moment, appearing to admire the trees surrounding them. She understood. This was a holographic memory. Something to hold on to, like what Kasumi had with Keiji. Something, perhaps, to torture herself with for the rest of her life. Never really worried about that before, Shepard continued. Always thought that if I died, it would be while fighting alongside my crew or protecting Earth or some other worthy cause. She shrugged. Like any good Marine, I suppose. Can't get much nobler than returning to Earth at the head of a massive fleet to kick some Reaper ass. <laughs> Shepard chuckled before her tone grew serious again. Don't really have a family either. Never knew my parents. Got shipped around a lot as a kid from place to place before they sent me to the mainland. Ran with a gang for a few years before I finally got some sense knocked into me and joined the Alliance. Hell, Anderson's the closest thing I ever had to family, to be honest. Of course, you probably know all this already, she added with a knowing smirk. Liara knew more of Shepard's background than the woman probably expected. She hadn't dug too deeply, though. Learning everything on her own would have diminished the pleasure of hearing it all from Shepard's lips one day. She tried not to think about how she'd never get that chance now. I used to only worry about the mission and my crew. Never gave much thought about next week, let alone next year. Their eyes met again. Meeting you changed all that, though. Now I find myself thinking about the future and what lies ahead for us. Uh, must have been that night we spent in my apartment before the party when it was just the two of us. With a slight wave of her hand, the scene changed, and there they were, or rather, another holographic shepherd was looking on at a holographic Liara playing the very same tune she had played a moment ago. Her guide looked on them, smiling. Everything was so peaceful. As peaceful as it gets on the Citadel, I mean. You played that beautiful song, and I stood next to you thinking about how this might be a tiny glimpse of a life that we could have together one day. Their doppelgangers embraced each other as the music continued to play. I didn't want to ruin the mood that night, but I was reminded of an old song from Earth that I heard once. One about a human woman who falls in love with an elf. The hologram raised her hand again, and the two of them were now floating high above the Earth. Earth as it had been before the invasion. A world of deep blues and greens speckled with white clouds. Liara's geography was spotty, but it looked as though they were passing over the island of Great Britain. Last time she'd seen it, half the island had been on fire still was, for all she knew. It's an old English song. The elf tells her that the only way they can be together is if she performs a series of increasingly impossible tasks. It reminds me of us. She smirked, 
with you as the beautiful, ageless elf, of course. Liara blushed, though she hadn't the faintest idea what an elf was supposed to look like. A second later, she saw herself back on the surface, a strata stone pillar blowing on a horn, of all things. Shepard was kneeling before her, dressed in a heavy overcoat and woolen trousers, of all things, a piece of fine cloth clutched in her right hand. An ethereal quality hung in the air. The sounds of the horn were truly enchanting. The tasks probably don't seem so impossible these days. Fashion a shirt without stitching, then wash it in a well where water never ran. She smiled as Liara blew her song, a very familiar one. But plenty of things are still impossible these days, despite how far we've come. The pine forest morphed back into a jungle clearing. In order to be with you... I had to defeat Saren and Sovereign, and then just a month later the Collectors showed up, and with their defeat came the Reapers. She sighed. <sighs> Doesn't get much more impossible than that. At least, Shepard looked Liara in the eyes again, and her smile was so true to life that she wanted to cry at the sight of it. At least I hope not. Shepard shrugged, rolling those strong arms of hers. Not that I'd mind. You know I'd move heaven and earth for a single moment with you when it's all over. But, I guess... She sighed again. I guess if you're watching this, then it didn't turn out that way. Liara rubbed at her eyes. I'm sorry. You made me promise that I'd never put you through this again, but... I was selfish. Even back on Ilium, when we were racing against time, I never expected my life would get as tough as it has. And when I understood how I felt about you, I wanted to grab hold of that single thread of a happy life and hold onto it forever. Shepard. I've lost people before, good friends and shipmates, but never someone I loved as deeply as I love you. I can't imagine what you must have gone through, what you must be going through now. I hope you can forgive me. I just, I want you to know that these last few weeks, they've been hard. The hardest of my life, but you being here on the Normandy helped me get through all of it. She couldn't stop herself, and Liara ran into those waiting arms. Shepard. Arms wrapped tightly around her body, but there was no warmth there, no familiar scent. It was all an illusion but she couldn't bring herself to pull away. Shepard continued, rubbing her shoulder in small circles just as the real Shepard had done so many times before. It's not much, but I wanted to leave something of me for you, just in case. The holographic Shepard raised her hand and Liara lifted her eyes as the scene changed. They stood now at the top of the steps leading to what appeared to be a museum. When she turned around, the towering skyline of a vast human city stretched out before them. Gleaming towers, immaculate streets lined with vibrant trees all leading down to dark blue sea. A city completely untouched by war. She had almost forgotten what one looked like. Come on, she said, drawing away, yet finding Liara's hand. Follow me. Liara lay on Shepard's bed, curled up on her side and only half paying attention to the tiny projected map of the solar system emanating shakily from her Omnitool. With the reactor now operational, Samantha was able to channel control of the ship's comm systems to Shepard's cabin. It gave Liara the ability to concentrate on her task without the constant noise of hammering and welding echoing throughout the rest of the ship. The rain was a different matter. True, 
gash could probably be covered with a tarp if indeed tarps were standard equipment on Alliance starships, but Liara thought it hardly worth the effort. Everyone who knew anything about the Normandy systems had much more important things to do. So did she, for that matter. Besides, Liara was beginning to like the rain. The thought of utter silence and stillness unnerved her, too much like those lonely nights in her office back on Ilium. It had been so long since those digs on distant worlds, when it really was just her and the elements. She missed those simple times. The rain reminded her that they had won, and that life would continue on. The world had not ended. Hands covered her face as she choked back another sob. Too much time had been spent crying last night, too much time already wasted. The world had not ended. The one thing Shepard had wanted most of all, she had made a reality. The Reapers were gone and Liara still lived. Commander. She uncovered her eyes to find Specialist Trainer lingering at the top of the stairs. She blinked. Samantha looked as bad as Liara felt, bags under her eyes, hair disheveled, her stained uniform frayed and partially unbuttoned. Liara had known, of course had known, about Samantha's interest in Shepard since the first time they'd met. Asari had a sense about these things, and, well, well, one hardly needed to be in Asari to see that Shepard attracted people. It was only natural, she supposed. Shepard was an amazing woman. She couldn't possibly hold anything against Specialist Trainer for seeing that. When jealousy was unnecessary, she knew better than anyone where Shepard's interests lay. Liara pushed herself up but didn't get off the bed, gesturing at Samantha to take a seat on the chair furthest from the rain, which still fell, though gently now, from the hole in the hole. I've been focusing my search on the Presidium Ring, or she had been before the most recent attack of despair had hit her. Still, the Presidium was the most logical place to look. No one knew exactly where the Reaper's beam had taken Shepard, but the heart of the Citadel seemed the most likely place. Samantha nodded, scrolling through her datapad with quick swipes of her finger. Most Alliance suits are programmed with a generic transponder. Back in the 70s, the transponders used to identify individuals by name and rank, but the Batarians... She trailed off, and Liara nodded in understanding. The Batarians took great joy in selling off human soldiers into slavery, but even worse horrors awaited anyone of significant rank. Liara coughed. I've been scanning for signals, and so far I've found 117 that match Standard Alliance distress codes, and hundreds of Turian, Asari, and Corian signals as well, she added mentally. But the Citadel is on the other side of the planet. All she ever had were a few short minutes when the station passed overhead, punctuated it by at least an hour's worth of painful silence. The specialist's eyes brightened. That's what I came to tell you. I've found a way to interface with some of the comm buoys our forces dropped during the assault. She leaned closer, taking the liberty of tapping a few commands on Liara's Omnitool. In seconds, her map was updated with thousands, maybe tens of thousands of signals. Any one of them could be Shepard. There was nothing else to say. Straightening, Liara activated her auditory implant and quickly returned to work. Samantha watched her for a moment, but did not do the same. Instead, she leaned over the table where Shepard's hollow emitter was still sitting. Without the lock engaged, it was a simple matter for her to begin fidgeting with its controls with the help of her own Omni-Tool. How on earth did you get one of these? Signal 118. Human. Suit functioning. No identification. One target down. 20,000 to go. Liara didn't look up from her work. It belonged to Shepard, actually. She must have been loaded to afford this. Liara frowned. Discussing the origins of the hollow emitter was the last thing on her mind right now. A voice came through when she focused on the next signal. Quarian, she was fairly sure. Not a suit transponder, but a life pods. 
Leora tagged it and was about to move on when the black box suddenly shone to life again and the room began to darken. Samantha looked around at the twisted metal and sagging wires tumbling down from the hole in the ceiling and smiled as they melted away. Sometimes it helps to have a change of perspective. As the room vanished, Liara found herself lifted weightlessly from the bed as though the Earth's gravity had been switched off. The blue hue of the fish tank melted into the bright blue seas of Earth, the broken glass and shattered ceiling and floor glinting in the last gasps of light and transforming into stars. The unfamiliar constellations that a young Commander Shepard had spent many a sleepless night watching now cast their feeble light on the planet Earth below. Samantha? I'm here, her disembodied voice replied. More points of light appeared, all orbiting slowly around the planet, and Liara recognized them for what they were, each and every signal she had seen from her Omnitool. It was just her and the task before her. Don't let anything distract you, just find her. I know you can. Liara let out a deep breath and allowed her eyes to close. Soon, she lost any sense that this was a simulation at all. When they opened again, she was truly floating in the void of space, and that was Earth and the great green and brown arc of southern Africa lying beneath her. Signals surrounded her, dotting the skies, and then gradually she realized she couldn't just see them. She could hear them, too. Officer Makar of the Haven Call, the captain of Ver A different voice. Mayday, Mayday, this is the SSV Algelot. We require immediate people. Actual, living people. And on top of that, a million different beeps and tones of a thousand different suits, ships, and unnamed probes. She'd need to filter out any signal that couldn't be Shepard. Glyph, begin scanning for any signals that mention Shepard by name. Begin at Sector Zero. At her command, the planet turned on its axis until the ruined citadel came into sight, its wards tumbling end over end in the distance. It was the best place to start. Every broadcast had been tagged, and still there was no sign of her. All that was left were the innumerable automated transponders dotting the sky in every direction, beacons from starships, escape pods, and individual spacesuits orbiting the planet in all directions. Some were re-entering the atmosphere at that very moment. She tried not to think about it. All she could do was close her eyes and listen. Minutes became hours as each signal she spotted was logged and plotted as it traveled quickly across the sky, but there was no way to tell one human signal from another. No way to tell if the people inside those suits were alive or dead. So quiet. Everything was so quiet. Even light years away from the system, the comms would always be jammed with traffic from the mundane speculations about rising grain prices to the secret encrypted transmissions that took up so much of Liara's time. Now, there were just a few signals, fading in and out of existence so quickly that she barely had time to scan them, and hardly anything at all from the surface. With everything else filtered, all Liara could hear was a chorus of rhythmic beeping, always in the key of C. Each one a suit with an Alliance transponder. A number of them were clustered around the remains of a ship, but it wasn't Shepard. Glyph logged it and added the location to the Normandy's emergency transmission. Hopefully, the ship's transmitter would be repaired soon. Hopefully, there was someone out there who could rescue them all. A barely audible tone, then another, and another. More transponders, dozens, maybe hundreds. It took her a moment to realize how much time had already elapsed. The Citadel was passing overhead again, and the signals were getting louder, making themselves more easily heard over the background static, now even more amplified thanks to Samantha's connections. Liara rubbed her temple. Every species had a different emergency transponder. Humans used a series of beeps all in Middle Sea. Old Morse called for distress. 
Turian beacons were much more shrill, not unlike their speech. The Hanar were almost song-lot, sustained notes that rose and fell like the seas over their homeworld. Finally, one by one, the last signals were catalogued and silenced. All signals filtered out, and every possible human source investigated as thoroughly as she could from several hundred miles away. She counted over a thousand, and no way to tell one suit from another, no way to tell if the person inside them were alive or dead. No way to tell if one of them was Commander Shepard. They'd have to fly from suit to suit and check each one, and time was running out. Some of the people in those suits would run out of oxygen or re-enter the atmosphere before they even got started. And yes, she thought, as a bright flare lit up over the deserts of Namibia, some already were. And then there was the Citadel itself. Could they really go hopping from person to person when there just might be thousands still living in the Citadel itself? Possibly save one woman, or possibly save a thousand. Liara floated in place, close enough to still make out the dark torus of the Presidium blocking the distant stars. What should she do? What could she do? Silence was her answer. She didn't cry. She merely shut her eyes and breathed a few shuddering breaths before feeling she was composed enough to try speaking. Anything? she asked. Just a soft, no, was all Samantha said. There was nothing. Not an unmarked signal to be heard in any direction, just the quiet hiss of background radiation. It brought back fears that should have been banished from her mind the instant the reapers disintegrated, a dead universe where the machines had won, complete silence for 50,000 light years in every direction, the homes of every great civilization, Thessia, Palavan, Earth, nothing but windswept ruins. Play them all again, Liara said. Samantha did as she was asked, bringing to life all the transmissions the ship could pick up. Narrow the search to within 50 kilometers of the Citadel. That cut out much of the noise, but her ears were still filled with hundred tunes playing their sequences simultaneously, some loudly, some on the very edge of hearing. Liara allowed her mind and body to relax. There had to be something she was missing. Shepard was wearing her suit when she ran into that beam. The dissonant tones became almost a song of their own as Liara lost herself among them. Another barely there tone, the same as the others, appeared unmarked, but so weak against the background static. She fiddled with the dials of her only tool, attempting to clear it up, but it was gone. Another soldier who had fought for their people, likely just as hard as Shepard had, now dead with probably no family to remember them. Then another signal, just as weak as the last. Middle C. Liara blinked. The sustained note stood out from the ones that surrounded her. Again, the tone sounded in her ear. Middle C. Samantha, what is that? A signal glyph tagged about two hours ago, possibly of Hanar origin. There's an unusually large mass effect signal being emitted. How is that a Hanar signal? Hanars don't use suits the way we do. They encase their bodies in warp shells. The emergency beacon is unusual for them, being so similar to an alliance signal, but there's very little information on what a Hanar emergency beacon is supposed to sound like, so filter out everything but that signal. Still, all she heard was that repeating tone, just on the cusp of fading into nothingness. The Hanar had very few warships of their own, preferring to let their allies do the fighting for them. Only two Hanar warships had massed with the fleet before the battle for Earth. Very odd that she'd find a survivor in all this chaos. A few more taps had the signal listed as unclassified. There were several ships of exotic origin in Shepard's fleet on which intelligence was lacking. Elcor, Volus, maybe the signal was one of theirs. Still, Hanar did seem most likely. 
There was something hypnotic and ethereal about the notes and how slowly they chimed, hardly like a distress signal at all. What was it, they said? Guide this one to where the traveler never tires, the lover never leaves, and the hungry never starve. Black spots flitted at the edge of her vision. God, she could sleep forever. What better proof that Liara wasn't really dead? She amplified the signal as much as she could. There was more here, something just peeking out above the static. More notes, overlapping the sustained note. C. F. G. A strangely familiar ascending string. Then F. E. D. C. A sharp. Liara jerked up as the notes descended, sending her body tumbling and making herself dizzy with the sudden movement. Her blue eyes were wide with shock as the projector's light continued to shine, highlighting a small region of space roughly 15 kilometers from the Presidium. Doctor? Samantha asked, suddenly concerned. Her hand slapped over the emitter and the projected image dissolved, returning both women to the real world. Liara took no notice of her leaping over the table on her way to the door. We're going up? If you can get us there. The bridge had become a hive of activity after Liara barged in and told them the news. It had to be Shepherd up there. That was her song she'd heard. I can get you there, Joker replied easily enough. He gestured at his heads-up display. Half the screens were red and listing errors that even Liara couldn't begin to comprehend. I'm missing a few things, though. Might need someone to read the backup monitors for me. I think I can manage that, Cortez offered, taking a seat in the seldom-used flight engineer's chair. Joker looked over his shoulder, frowning when Cortez pressed a button and it buzzed at him. Fine, but if you break anything, you buy it. Jack's voice came in through the intercom. Yeah, yeah, she was saying to someone unseen. I'm fucking telling them, all right? Liara tapped the compound to clear up the signal a little bit. Jack? Oh, hey, Blue. Adam says this piece of shit will be ready to fly in less than eight hours. The chief engineer cut in. That's not exactly... Liara interrupted. I know where Shepard is. That shut them both up. Shit. You found a signal? Garrus asked, hobbling toward the bridge with his makeshift cane. His face was crossed with yet more scars. He was fortunate that most Turians like that sort of thing. She's alive? Liara refused to allow herself quite that much hope. I... I think so. Well, that's always been good enough for me, Garris said with a nod. When do we leave? Everyone focused on an exhausted-looking Commander Williams. As the highest-ranking Alliance soldier on board and a Spectre, she was in command, presuming things like military regulations still meant anything with the galaxy half-destroyed and all. Her reaction was surprisingly muted, and she didn't so much as uncross her arms. You want to get out and push, or should I? Tally cut in before Garris could get another word out. Tally cut in before Garris could get another word out. We can fly right now, she corrected. It's just, well, it's not exactly going to be pretty. Ashley straightened, looking up at the tiny speaker embedded in the ceiling. What does that mean? Nothing's calibrated. Gravity dampeners are spotty. The main engines will stall if the power drops below 17 megawatts, but the radiators will fail if it rises above 20. Joker gritted his teeth. I can do it. If you can't, we're going to drop like a brick, Adams chimed in, or explode, or be roasted to a delicious golden brown. Take your pick. Everyone's head turned when Jack came dashing up from the CIC, forcing Garris to throw himself against the bulkhead to get out of her way. Liara had no idea how she'd gotten up here so quickly. Let's fucking go, she demanded out of breath. Ashley appeared completely unaffected by Jack's excitement. Her eyes met Liara's. She's really up there? All Liara could manage was a nod. 
no matter how bleak the outlook. She couldn't let this tiny thread slip away, not after coming so far. Sighing, Commander Williams rested a hand firmly on the pilot's chair. Yeah, yeah, Joker muttered as the displays around him began to light up, his fingers flying every which way. Jack was fidgeting with excitement as the Normandy remained motionless. A latent biotic field crackled around her. Liara took a step back. If Joker didn't get a move on, Jack was going to lift the ship into the air itself. Fuck, I wish Shepard had left us just one more Reaper so I could personally kick its ass. Yeah, Joker drawled as the ship powered up with a shudder that knocked Liara against the wall. Jack speaks for herself on that one. September 26, 2186, SSB Normandy in low Earth orbit over the southern Atlantic Ocean. Hear anything? Ashley asked. Samantha shook her head, still visibly uncomfortable being in Edie's former seat. I have locks on debris that might be what we're looking for, but I can't hear a thing. Liar nodded, wringing her hands together. Despite the damage, the Presidium ring was still recognizable, even illuminated only by the light of the sun as it now was. Sparks and flames were streaming from holes on the lowest floors. The whole structure was still rotating, providing some semblance of gravity to anyone fortunate or unfortunate enough to still be inside. Cortez, is the shuttle ready? The answer came through over the ship's calm, static rising, then easing again as the ship maneuvered through the sky. I think so. I, I wouldn't try flying to Neptune in it, but it should hold out for a few hours. Jack and Kasumi were standing a not particularly discreet distance behind her, eyes darting from displays to the ship's forward window. Liara tapped at the floor nervously. After the Normandy had returned to orbit, she had hoped to hear those notes again, but the antenna was picking up little of use. Maybe Shepard's suit had stopped transmitting to conserve power, or more likely interference from the ship's patchwork electrical systems, all now running at full power, was masking the signal as it masked everything else. Either way, she wasn't about to send the Normandy after one person, no matter how important. Look, Trainer said, pointing to a far end of the Presidium. A flare! Liara didn't even have time to get a glimpse before Samantha pointed to another one. I'm getting distress signals. They're very weak, but I'm counting at least six different sources up ahead. They're concentrated around the docking bays. Survivors. Liara didn't think it was truly possible. Ten days under Reaper control, yet after all they had done, all the people they had butchered, there were still people alive in there. They must be able to see us, Cortez said, growing excited. Any sign of the commander? Joker asked. Liara shook her head. Finally, at this close range, she was picking up Alliance suit beacons, but try as she might, she couldn't hear that music again. Give us her last known location, and I'll begin a search pattern. No, Liara said firmly, and everyone turned their heads, surprised at her outburst. There isn't time. It was surreal to see Jack look so distressed. Why isn't her suit broadcasting? What does that mean? If the suit was damaged, it could drain its power reserves, keeping its force fields intact, Cortez explained. Otherwise, the person inside would be exposed to the vacuum of space. That means shutting down all non-crucial systems. Defensive fields, communications, everything in order of priority. It's all secondary to keeping the person inside alive. Jack glowered at the window. Searching for a black spacesuit in the blackness of space while surrounded by charred debris. Was this one of those impossible tasks Shepard had mentioned? How the fuck do we find her then? Liara glanced down the long hallway to the CIC. I've got an idea. Cortez sounded only marginally more convinced over her headset than he had been when she had first explained the plan to him. You sure about this, Doctor? I'll be okay. I've flown one of these before. Okay, flown wasn't exactly the right word. She had been a passenger on an escape pod as it had tumbled through space. That escape pod had also belonged to the Normandy, the SR-1. This time, though, she was not 
going to leave Shepard behind, no matter what. Neither the pod nor the shuttle were equipped to scan for energy signatures, so Glyph did it for her as they traveled from point to point. A battery, a shard of metal still hot from a reaper strike, bits and pieces of unrecognizable debris. Judging by their orbit and speed, they had all come from the Citadel. Shepard was out here somewhere. But Glyph wasn't sensing anything. Without a word, she rotated her field of view, bringing the two connected ships closer to the Presidium and turning it full 180 degrees until all she could see was the blue waters of the Atlantic. She trained her eyes on those distant seas, searching for holes, black voids, where the planet should be. Finally, Liara saw a speck of black suspended against the endless blue of one of Earth's oceans. Using her Omni-tool to scan and enlarge what she was seeing, her heart leapt when it appeared to be a combat suit. Okay, release the pod and get back there. Roger, Cortez said. The pod shook as the shuttle's clamps let go, and Liar watched as Cortez made a U-turn in the sky. And when you get her, tell her drinks are on me for the rest of her life. Liar watched with a rapidly beating heart as the black speck grew closer and closer. When she was within 500 feet, she did as Cortez instructed and cut her forward velocity, easing the unwieldy craft to a stop just meters away from her target, now out of sight beyond the hull. Quickly, she donned her helmet and almost forgot to depressurize the pod before opening the hatch. With a little bit of practice, Liar got the hang of her suit's maneuvering thrusters and gently pulled herself out and into the blackness of space. In only a few seconds, she had her arms wrapped around the woman. A touch was all it took to confirm it. Commander Shepard, eyes shut, but still breathing. Shepard, Liar cried, shaking her body and causing them both to begin performing a slow roll through the sky, but there was no response. She scanned the woman's suit with her Omni-Tool. The exterior had taken a lot of damage, and it was crossed with dark patches generated by the suit's self-healing systems. The main and backup comm links appeared to be fried, but all the critical life support systems were still operational. A flickering blue light covered much of her lower torso. That explained the Mass Effect signature. The suit was using a great deal of power, just keeping itself sealed. Finally, the commander's eyes blinked open, then went wide with recognition. In the vacuum of space, Liar couldn't hear her words, but she knew what Shepard was trying to say. She placed a hand on the woman's scarred helmet and let her eyes go black. The pod, the floating debris, everything melted away until there was nothing but the two of them among a sea of stars. Shepard. Liara? Through their mental link, she could hear the woman perfectly. The ache in Shepard's limbs, the twisted ankle, the dryness in her throat, all became her own. She needed Medigel, she needed food, and she needed a thousand hours of bed rest. But she wasn't going to die. A hundred jumbled memories flashed through Shepard's mind. Memories of the Prothean beacon. Liara saw herself, bruised and bloodied against the overturned Mako. She saw Anderson being shot by the elusive man. She saw the catalyst, and the choice Shepard was forced to make. Control or destroy, or do nothing at all. She saw the explosion that followed and she saw the last person Shepard thought of before unconsciousness overtook her. Even in her thoughts, Shepard sounded utterly exhausted. Liara, I'm so sorry. She swallowed nervously, feeling the blood pumping through Shepard's veins. She was alive. She wasn't going to die. What for? I made a promise that I would always come back. I, I almost didn't keep it this time. Liara smiled, and more visions passed between them. Liara shared her memories since London and allowed her lover to feel her loss, her despair, the way her pulse raced when she discovered that Shepard might still somehow be alive despite it all. A gloved hand grazed the side of her helmet. You found me, 
I'd travel across the universe for a thousand years to find you. Shepard smiled. An image appeared in their shared mind. Liara as an avenging Asari goddess coming from the sky to rescue her from her fate. Liara blushed, again with the mythological imagery. You're the goddess here, I think. Looking over her shoulder, she pointed out the earth, the blue and white sphere looming large over everything. Long trails of smoke marred its surface, but there wasn't a single fire to be seen. The reapers are gone, thanks to you. Shepard wasn't looking at that at all. She was staring directly at her, completely speechless. The moment was broken by Joker's voice over her headset. Doctor, did you find the commander? Yes, Jeff, she's here, and she's alive. There was silence over the comm link for a long moment. No shit? She laughed. <laughs> no shit. A loud cheering erupted over the line, earning an embarrassed smile from Shepard. Tell her I'm going to fucking kill her for disappearing on us. Jack says hi, Joker added. Laughter filled the comm link. Shepard started to ask for a status report before appearing to remember that the only reason she could even hear the Normandy's crew right now was because her mind was joined with Liara's. Instead, she sighed. Something you want to say to them? Liara asked, smirking. She shook her head. Just tell them. Thanks. Liara did so. Ashley was the next one she was able to make out over all the chatter. You two need a lift? Behind Shepard, the earth was only growing larger, and just above the horizon was the Presidium, still rotating slowly end over end. From this distance, it was just possible to distinguish the blue glow of the Normandy's engines from the flickering lights and flames shooting from the Citadel itself. No, Liara finally said. Save who you can. I'll get her home. Cortez picked up a few survivors from Huerta Memorial. We're passing Docking Bay Delta right now. Looks like we've got some more on the lower levels. Do what you can for them, Ashley. I'll take care of Shepard. Joker laughed sharply. <laughs> yeah, yeah, want the commander all to yourself. We get it. She rolled her eyes when Shepard actually winked at her. Come on, Liara said through her link. We need to get you out of here. Beckoning Shepard to cling to her, Liara maneuvered them both carefully back towards the waiting pod. September 27th, 2186. Escape pod A7, 20 kilometers south of Nuwara Aliyah, Sri Lanka. Liara took a deep breath of the fresh air wafting in from the open hatch. She had never felt so exhausted. It was like she had been running on pure adrenaline for the last six months, and, well, that probably wasn't far off the mark. For the first time in what might very well have been years, she had the freedom to completely relax, to breathe without an apocalypse looming over them all. The gentle scraping of leaves against the outer hull of the escape pod brought to mind the many hours she'd spent investigating artifacts on the far-flung worlds. She had loved the quiet in those days, the slow and methodical pace of archaeological exploration, the natural world outside providing the only link between her and the creatures she was studying. Now she wondered if her life would ever be like that again. Did she even want that life anymore? Glyph shimmered into view before her. Doctor, you have an incoming message. She stretched her arms over her head, put it through. The VI dissolved back out of existence, and a familiar voice spoke to her over the pod's comm link. We just got your message, Dr. Tassoni. How is she? Liara looked over her shoulder. Shepard was resting on a blanket Liara had laid over the bench, stripped of her suit and helmet, and looking as untroubled as she had seen her in two years. She's fine. On the outside, at least. Admiral Hackett sighed. I understand. Can I ask what the situation is? There was a pause, and Liara thought she heard the man let out another deep breath. 
Admiral Hackett allowing his fatigue to show would be enough to prove to anyone that the war was truly over. We lost about 70% of our force, and there's hardly a ship in the fleet that hasn't sustained some form of significant damage, even the ships that fell back to Alpha Centauri after the Crucible was activated. He paused. The Presidium Ring re-entered over the Pacific about four hours ago, but we're still pulling people off the rest of the Citadel. We're estimating roughly 60,000 survivors in total. A tiny fraction of the population, yet it was more than Liara could have ever hoped for. What about Earth? It's bad down there, Doctor. There's no other way to put it. Some cities were barely touched. Others, Xi'an, Manila, New York, they're all but unrecognizable. We've got tens of millions of wounded and billions in need of reliable sources of food and water. We are swallowed. There is still so much more to do. Only a few of my team survived the assault, Admiral, but whatever resources I have left, they're yours. Thank you. They've done exemplary work so far. The Hammer forces on the Southwark line owe their lives to them. I'm glad to hear it. There was a pause. I wish we had some news from Thessia for you. It's all right. It wasn't, not really, but she took comfort in knowing that the Reapers were gone now. Rebuilding would be hard, but Thessia had far greater resources to draw upon than Earth did. She could do infinitely more good here. The scouting party we sent to the Caron Relay tell us that it's likely going to take years to repair it. We're not even sure where to start, to be honest. I see. At least she was on this side of the relay, with Shepard. And many of the scientists who built the crucible were still on the base at Castor. In time, she was sure the relay could be repaired. Another pause. If you like, we could have a shuttle pick you up in 15 minutes. It's okay, Liara quickly answered. I'm sure it could be put to better use elsewhere. The Admiral coughed, or maybe he laughed. It was hard to tell. He probably didn't get much practice at the latter. True enough. Besides, I believe the two of you have just earned a lifetime of shore leave. She smiled. It was hard to imagine Shepard allowing herself to rest for so long, but at least this time Liara would be right beside her no matter what happened next. Well... Maybe someday, but probably not. Hmm, perhaps when the cleanup is over. Hackett sighed and didn't finish his thought. Anyway, I do have one last order for you, Doctor. Yes? When she's back on her feet, I want you to remind Shepard that every human, every Asari, every Turian, every person she sees from this day forward is alive because of what she did up there. She is a goddamn hero. Don't let her forget it. Liara smiled. Shepard would hate it. She'd have to remind her every day. I promise. Good. I'll see you both in a few days. Hack it out. Breathing deeply, Liara slumped back on the bench and shut her eyes. A hero. Shepard had been that since the first time they'd met. It was nice of the rest of the universe to finally catch on to the fact. After looking over her shoulder one last time to check on Shepard, Liara fell asleep without really meaning to waking up a few hours later to find the evening sun streaming through the hatch and into an empty cabin. Immediately, she sat up and her eyes went black on reflex. Shepard? She felt more than heard Shepard's quiet reply. Out here. Liara pulled herself through to the hatch and found Shepard leaning against the hole, looking out over the rough, forested hills and the dark clouds beyond. Sorry, Liara murmured, sitting close to her. I should ask permission before reaching out with my mind like that. Shepard immediately rested her head on Liara's shoulder, as she had done so often back on the Normandy. You don't have to ask. Not with me. Her arm threaded its way around Shepard's back. In the light of day, it was easy to make out the dozens of scars marring the woman's skin below her shorts. Asari's skin wasn't like that at all. 
Unless the damage was genetic, every wound Liara had picked up in this war would eventually fade with time. It was something that gave the Asari their ageless quality, and another thing that made humans seem so fragile in comparison. Of course, Shepard was anything but fragile. She was a survivor. Not even an army of Reapers could stop her. Every scar was a memory and a lesson, Shepard had once told her. Sometimes, when they were alone together, Liara would pick one out and ask about its story, and over the past few weeks she had learned the origins of a number of them. Several were from a coups, where the Thresher Mall massacred her entire unit. A jagged scar marred her ankle from the time they boarded a derelict freighter only to be attacked by an army of husks, and a few tiny ones dotted her face from the incomplete job Cerberus had done bringing her back to life. Scars of all shapes and sizes, but not a single one was ugly to Liara. And now there were fresh ones. A brand new scar ran down her left leg from when she had narrowly missed being incinerated by Harbinger. Tiny circular spots, probably from flakes of molten metal, lay speckled alongside it. Thankfully, Shepard's suit had still been able to seal itself after taking so much damage. That was not entirely down to luck. Liara had spent a considerable amount of credits on upgrades to that suit, some of which she hadn't even told the commander about. That might make a good story one day. Perhaps something to share with those little blue children Shepard liked to talk about. Her lover hummed. It was humid outside the pod and quite a bit warmer than humans generally liked. Sweat beaded on the woman's exposed skin, but she seemed relaxed and happier than Liara could ever remember her being. <laughs> I'd forgotten how nice non-recirculated air could smell. So much devastation. Yet this place, whatever this was, was wild and serene. Not a hint of smoke or rubble blotted the horizon, but dark clouds continued to gather in the west. She felt Shepard tense when a flash of light appeared in the distance, followed a few seconds later by a gentle roll of thunder. Liara squeezed her side in an attempt to be reassuring, and Shepard let out a deep breath before finally relaxing again. I miss the rain, too, she said, sniffing the air approvingly. Almost forgot what it was like. Did it rain a lot where you grew up? She wouldn't have known that Liara had already seen the contents of her black box. She nodded. I grew up in a lot of places. I remember when I lived in Honolulu, I used to sit on the roof of my apartment block, letting the rain wash over me when I thought about things. Really? What kind of things? Shepard smiled a little. The future, mostly. It was only ten years after first contact. The possibilities seemed so vast. I thought about going to space... Stepping foot on alien worlds, making love to beautiful alien princesses, she added, earning a lot shove from Liara. Two out of three is not too bad. Shepard kissed her. You're much more desirable than any princess. Heat rose to her cheeks. Flatterer. It's true. Without your research, we would have failed years ago, and the knowledge of the Crucible might have been lost forever. It's not an exaggeration to say you've saved trillions of lives. She shrugged. There would be time enough later to contemplate the magnitude of what she had done. Years and decades and centuries, she hoped. I plan on telling those little blue children all about what a hero you are. Liara laughed. It sounds like those children are going to grow up with an awfully inflated view of their parents. Who will teach them humility? They can watch us dance, Shepard said. Laughs turning into coughs. That'll show them we're not perfect. <laughs> Speak for yourself. Shepard tensed again when Glyph suddenly flew over her head trailing a shower of holographic sparks behind it. When it reached the nearby line of trees, it flew into the air, shooting up twenty meters before returning and settling back in their field of view. Just when Liara thought it was over, it performed a flip in the air before resuming its silent hovering. Um, Glyph? Its eye began to glow brightly, and a moment later, a life-size hologram of a familiar cloaked figure stood before them. Kasumi, 
Shepard said, eyes narrowing. What Liara was seeing should have been impossible. The hologram took a bow. How did you... She grinned playfully. How do you think? How long have you been spying on us? Liara asked. Oh, only since you woke up. You've been watching us all this time? Shepard asked. Yep, Kasumi said, her smile never disappearing. And how much do I have to pay you to keep you from spreading this all over the extranet? Kasumi crossed her arms. Oh, please, there's no extranet anymore anyways. This is for my personal collection. Personal collection? Yeah, I can't resist a good romantic story. You know, like the torrid love affair between Miranda and Jack, for instance. I'm still not sure if you're joking about Miranda and Jack, Shepard sighed, pinching the bridge of her nose. Kasumi only grinned in reply. So, the commander finally said after a long moment. So, I wanted to see how you two were doing. Uh-huh. Everyone seems a lot happier now that you're back, Shep. She nodded, her cheeks growing ever so slightly pinker. Thanks. Where are you, anyway? Um, Kasumi looked away at what Liara assumed was an unseen monitor. Southern France, I think. Dropping off survivors from a quarry and dreadnought. I hope they like crepes. I don't think they can squeeze crepes through their induction ports. If the relay is as bad as they say, we're going to have to come up with some way to feed them. Turians, too. Kasumi looked directly at Liara. She's already planning her next move. See what you're getting into? Liara smiled. I honestly wouldn't be surprised if the Alliance appointed you as interim president or something. Screw that, Kasumi said. They'll probably make you queen of the entire universe for this. Shepard shook her head. So, she drawled, expression turning serious. I heard you blew a hole in my ship. Kasumi grimaced. Until that moment, Liara hadn't thought it possible for the thief to make such a face. It's hard to dock with a ship that has no power. Besides, it was Jack's fault. Mostly. Shepard appeared unconvinced. Uh-huh. Well, um, I mean, she really took to the idea once I brought it up. Uh-huh. Next time, just use the airlock by the CIC. It opens manually from the outside. She pouted. Evidently, the thought had not occurred to her. Noted, my queen. I'd buy you a new shuttle bay door, but Alliance credits aren't worth so much these days. Well, then as my first act as queen of the universe, I declare cute cat pictures to be our new form of currency. Kasumi cheered. Oh, I'm set for life. She turned again to look at something off screen. Oh, looks like we're due to make another run up to the Citadel. How is it up there? Shepard asked. It's... Her smile faltered. Pretty awful, actually, but there are survivors. Need any help? Kasumi shook her head. We've got plenty of hands, just not enough ships. Shepard nodded. Liar could feel the tension building in her limbs like she wanted to go regardless, but the commander eventually settled. While you're in Sri Lanka, might I recommend visiting scenic Yapahua? Yapahua? Shepard repeated. It's said to have once held the sacred tooth of Buddha. One day they'll probably have temples like that housing parts of you. She frowned. Uh, no thanks. A shrine to the holy rat fist of Shepard. The one that knocked that one guy clean off the tower in Ilium. She punched the air for emphasis, like, kapow! Shepard couldn't help but laugh at the memory. It was the man's reward for trying to literally get the drop on her. Liara remembered seeing it all on the security footage, watching with admiration as Shepard worked her way up the tower, looking for the drill assassin. Then, just as abruptly, Shepard's mind appeared to fixate on something else. Liara frowned, gently brushing her hand through her bondmate's hair again. She had taken the fate of an entire galaxy on her shoulders, and now here she was, already wondering what the future held in store. Eyes turning black, Liara saw the thoughts running through Shepard's mind. Body parts of the Buddha. How would he have felt about that? What would any of the leaders of the galaxy's great religions think of the ways people kept their memories alive? 
savior of the galaxy or not, such questions were well above Shepard's pay grade. All she knew was that she didn't like the idea of being seen as more than what she truly was. Liara let her own thoughts push Shepard's dark ones away. She conjured up a mental image of an Asari temple, dark candlelit walls reflecting the bright blue candles held aloft by a group of priestesses, delicate white robes shifting in the breeze. Shepard blinked as Liara pulled her through the circle of women. There, in the center of the hall, stood an enormous stone statue. It was a statue of Shepard's butt. Green eyes snapped to hers and she laughed incredulously. Eyes turning wicked, a different image came just as quickly to mind. Dozens of humans laying offerings of incense and candles before a statue of a blurry standing figure. Liara shook her head when it resolved itself. Surely her breasts weren't that big. Shepard grinned as Liara's cheeks flushed purple. Okay, wow, Kasumi broke in as both women returned somewhat reluctantly to the real world. I'll leave you two lovebirds alone then. See you in a few. Remember, drinks are on me. I've got plenty of cat pictures to spend. The hologram faded, and Glyph shook as if it was trying to clear its processors. I'm sorry, Doctor. It appears my security locks have been compromised. Liara allowed the mental link to slip fully away. It's okay, Glyph. Kasumi's a... She looked at Shepard. A friend? Shepard nodded. Understood. Shall I grant her access to your files? No, she said a little too forcefully. I, uh, mean, not at this moment, Glyph. Very well, Doctor. And with that, the V.I. returned to the pod. Shepard rolled over, resting her head in Liara's lap, looking up into her bondmate's bright blue eyes and breaking into a smile. Liara smiled back. Comfortable? Very. She returned to stroking the woman's head. Shepard sighed. Seems you still have a thing for hair. Liara smiled. I have a thing for you. Mmm, she drawled, stretching her arms and arching her back to get more comfortable. That's not a bad line. I've been meaning to use it for a while now. She hummed in contentment. So what do we do now? Now as in right now, or now as in from now on? Shepard closed her eyes. The second one. Whatever we do, we should do it together. She hummed in agreement as another roll of thunder sounded. That's an even better line. Liara narrowed her eyes and flicked Shepard gently on the temple. Aw, I can't make you blush like I used to, can I? She shrugged. I've seen a lot these past three years. Shepard nodded, a little sadly, Liara thought. Feels kind of like waking up from a bad dream, doesn't it? Well, not all of the dreams were bad, Liara corrected, smiling again. I remember a few wonderful nights mixed in there. Shepard's lip quirked. Yeah, me too. Again, the thunder rolled. Sheets of rain could be seen falling not too far away now. The wind was already picking up. Shepard sighed, but gave no hint of moving, even when fat drops of water began to pepper them both. Do you want to head back inside? No. Shepard sighed as the droplets splashed on her skin. Let it rain. Thank you.